Well, having read about the, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem uh, and having uh, echoed the song of the angels uh, that night, we now turn to a passage in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 2. It's probably very familiar to you. And, and this passage in Matthew chapter 2 rec- records what happened about two years uh, after the night of Jesus' birth. Uh, and when a, a strange group of foreigners arrived uh, at the court of King Herod in Jerusalem. If you would read along with me, beginning in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And when Herod, or or we have we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him... Bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to the rest over the, to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. What we see here in Matthew chapter 2 In these first two verses, we see the arrival of the wise men in Jerusalem. Again, the the wise men uh, are uh, are a group of individuals that I wish there was more information about in Scripture. Right? Uh, Oftentimes, this time of year, uh, we see uh, nativity scenes uh, with uh, wise men there at the birth of Jesus. Uh, But again, this takes place about two years afterwards. Oftentimes, usually how many wise men are there? Typically, three. Uh, and usually, uh, they, they rode in on camels, and that's what we see. But we don't have all of that information given to us here. Uh, we are not told who these, these men are. We're just told that they are magi, or wise men, that have come from the east. And uh, this probably, uh, this magi, or group of magi, uh, were probably from uh, Persia. Uh, and they might trace back to the Magi in Daniel's day. 
the book of Daniel mentions uh, magi or wise men who were uh, trained in astronomy. And if these magi are traced back to the time of uh, Daniel, uh, then it might have been Daniel who told them about the Jewish Messiah, who told them uh, about this king who was to come uh, and save the world. Uh, and so they were looking at the stars and seeing something uh, in the stars. They understood that this king that had been promised uh, by Daniel uh, had arrived. And so they traveled to the land of the Jews. They, they traveled to Jerusalem uh, and they went and spoke with King Herod. Uh, and you have to admire their, their courage going into the king and speaking to him as they did. I can imagine them going in and maybe kneeling down in Herod's court uh, and saying, where's the king? And King Herod probably was like, well, I'm right here. And they're like, no, 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 not you, the other king. And King Herod's probably thinking, what other king? Uh, And then they they had a little bit of explaining to do, uh, to explaining, well, we are searching for the king who was born as king of the Jews, because Herod was not born as the king of the Jews. Uh, he, w- he was placed uh, in a position of authority by his father, and his uh, father was placed into a position of authority by the Roman Empire. And so these wise men were, were God-fearing Gentiles who, who were coming to worship the true king of Israel. We're not told how many Uh, We're not told how they got there, but we are told why they came. Uh, They came with the the purpose, the intention uh, of worshiping. And so they come with this question of King Herod. uh, And and King Herod doesn't know his Bible. He doesn't know his Old Testament. And they ask this very simple question of, hey, we're looking for the king. We're looking for the Messiah. Where can we find him? And this prompts King Herod to contact the religious leaders. Uh, This is what we see in verses 3 through 6. As these wise men come and and ask questions, Herod can't answer them, so he calls the Jewish leaders, and and there's going to be distress on the part of King Herod and all Jerusalem. Rather than than rejoicing, uh, as the wise men are rejoicing, King Herod and, and the rest of Jerusalem, they... They get troubled. They are distraught by this news that they hear. And so as as Herod uh, brings in the religious leaders, they find out or they tell him that the the Messiah is to be born in the town of Bethlehem. They quote uh, the prophet Micah from the Old Testament and say this is where uh, the Messiah is to, to come into the world. But what's amazing is, again, rather than, than responding with, with great joy, Herod is thinking about, well, what are the implications of this for me? Right? Uh, he's not thinking about, wow, the, the Messiah that we have been waiting for since the beginning of uh, creation, since the fall of mankind, we have been waiting for this promised one. Rather than, than rejoicing in that good news, he's like, well, this guy could be a rival. Uh, If this is the one who was born the king of the Jews, he may try and take my throne. So Herod responds with a kind of a a concealed hatred. It's concealed here in these verses, but if you look over 
to verses 16 through 18, you see how Herod responds when, when the wise men do not return to him. Now, when they, when they go back home and, and don't come back and report to where he can find this one who has been born king of the Jews, Herod responds with one of the most grievous acts in Scripture. He, he slaughters all of the children in Bethlehem, ages two and under. Imagine how devastating that would have been. Even as we have many children who are two and under here. If you can imagine the weeping and the lament that would take place if such an order was given in our own time. But Herod responded with a concealed hatred. But I think what's even more surprising than Herod's response, because that's, it's really not that surprising, because kings are people who love power and want to stay in power. But what's actually more surprising is the response or the non-response of the religious leaders. Right? Because it says that Herod called, it says in verse 4, the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he inquired of them. So, so he asked them, where, can, where is the Messiah to be born? And, and they tell him, And then what else do they do? Nothing. These religious leaders don't respond in any way. They are completely indifferent. They have all of this knowledge about who the Messiah was to be, where he was to be found, what he was going to do. And yet there is no joy, no anticipation on their part that the Messiah has come into the world. These, these wise men come and travel and say, we have seen the star. We know the Messiah is here. Show us where he is. They're like, oh, you can find him over there. there there's no joy, no anticipation. That these religious leaders should have joined in with the caravan of wise men and they should have traveled to Bethlehem that very night. Right? Singing and rejoicing saying, we have waited for this day. That's not what they do. Their silence is deafening. Their indifference communicates a hard-heartedness towards God, towards all that He had promised, towards all that He had planned to do in and through the Messiah. And what was it that God had planned to do through the Messiah? We read that back in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. As the angel was speaking to Joseph in a dream and, uh, and communicating to Joseph that he was to, to remain with Mary, not, not to divorce her quietly as he planned. Uh, the angel was speaking to Joseph and said, hey, you're to name this child Jesus. And you're to give him that name because he will save his people from their sins. That was the plan of God, that he was going to send his son to be born of a virgin, to live a life on earth, and then to willingly sacrifice his life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to bring forgiveness and reconciliation with God to all who would look to him in faith. 
But this meant nothing to those religious leaders of that time. They, they assembled uh, when the, the political leader asked them to. They, they answered the one question that he asked, and then they went home. But they had no zeal for God. They wanted no relationship with the king that he had sent into the world. But the wise men did. And the wise men uh, didn't stick around for long. They said, all right, we now know where he is. Let's go. And that's what we see in verses 7 through 12. We see the response of the wise men. They depart from Jerusalem. And what's amazing is they were led by the star to the location of Christ in Bethlehem. And again, this is one of those things. You're like, God, can you give us a little bit more detail about this star? What was it? Because initially you're thinking it's it's something way up in the sky beyond us in the heavens, right? They, They saw his star appear. And they knew that the Messiah had come. So there was some new celestial activity, and that means something. So they see it, and they come to Jerusalem. They ask these questions, and then somehow this same star directs them to exactly where Jesus is in Bethlehem. So you're like, what is this star? And I've I've seen uh, a lot of uh, different views about what this star is. There's an amazing... uh, DVD movie called The Star of Bethlehem, and it talks about all of these uh, astronomical activities, and they think they, they pinpointed the, the birth of Christ, and it's very compelling, but then that same video, I'm like, how do you explain the star showing them exactly where Jesus is in Bethlehem? And it, it can't explain that. So, so, so often, we get stuck on the, the what of the star. What is it? How do we know what it is? Well, I think in doing that, we get too focused on the trees and we lose sight of the bigger picture of the forest. We ask, what is the star, rather than thinking about why did God send the star? Well, what's the purpose of this? Well, God is leading people to worship his son. That is the goal here. God is bringing the wise men to Jesus to worship Him and to acknowledge Him. Also, think about this. Why did God have the wise men take a detour to Jerusalem? Because God could have just said, hey, He's in Bethlehem. Let me lead you directly to Him. But if God leads the wise men directly to Jesus, there's no witness to Herod and to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. But the wise men, these God-fearing Gentiles who know less about the Messiah than the religious leaders, they come and they're willing to, to look for and worship the Messiah that God has sent, whether religious leaders are not willing to. So this star leads the wise men to exactly where Jesus is. It leads him, them directly to the house where Joseph and Mary and Jesus are. And although Jesus would have been but a a little toddler uh, at this point, what do the wise men do? It says they fall down and they worship Him. Now this past Sunday, we we talked about the the deity of Christ uh, and His attributes. 
And as we've been reading through the Gospel of Mark this month, we talked about people are constantly coming to Jesus and falling down before Him. That's an act of worship. And just think about that scene. These wise men who have traveled thousands of miles, that they come to this little house in Bethlehem and they find this little toddler and they fall down and worship Him. Not because of what He has done already, but because of what He is going to do. Because of who He is. And they brought out their gifts. Gifts worthy of a king. Gold. The universal symbol of wealth and of value. They give frankincense. Sweet-smelling incense that was used for the most special of occasions. Here's something interesting. The Old Testament Jews would use frankincense and they would sprinkle it upon sacrifices in the Old Testament to show that they had a desire to, to please God. What it was intended to communicate in the Old Testament. And there was a third gift. Myrrh. A valuable perfume. And myrrh comes up later on in the story of Jesus. But it comes up after he has already died. The myrrh was used uh, as one of the, the perfumes to embalm Jesus. To give his body a, uh, a sweet smell rather than a decaying smell when he was buried and placed in the tomb after he had died on the cross. And so what's amazing is that even from the very beginning of Jesus' life, even from, from right here at this moment, what is looming ahead of him is the cross. Right? The, the wise men giving this gift, they are acknowledging uh, the, the finiteness of this king. That this is a human king who will one day die. Giving this perfume communicates a lot. And again, the death of Jesus looms over him like a storm cloud all the days of his life entire life and ministry here on the earth, Jesus understood His mission. He didn't come just to be worshipped and adored immediately. He came with a purpose. He came to save. He came to die. And so from His birth, He is marching slowly but surely to the cross. And the beauty and power of Christmas is this reality. That as we celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate the incarnation, as we celebrate the God who has created and sustained everything, who has given us life and breath and everything that we have, humbled Himself just to become a man. Right? That, that is humility on the part of God, to humble Himself to become a man. But then even lower than that, He humbled Himself to the point of Yes, and then even lower than that, he humbled himself to die on the cross. The worst and the most gruesome of deaths. And he humbled himself even more by taking on himself our sin, all of the, the guilt, all of the punishment that you and I deserve, Christ bore on the cross. And his march to the cross begins even right here. And he's going to march faithfully to the cross. To rescue us. To save us. He carried our sins and now we are commanded to place our faith and our trust in Him. And each one of us 
must make a decision about how we are going to respond to Jesus. And as we've read this this recording of the the Magi and the star, we've seen three separate responses to Jesus. King Herod responded to the news of Jesus with a concealed hatred in his heart. He didn't come out and say, well, I'm going to just immediately kill this kid. He's like, well, let me, let me hold my cards close for a bit. But eventually that, that hatred, that animosity is going to spew forth. Second response that we've seen uh, is the response of indifference. Shockingly, from the religious leaders. That there was an indifference in their heart towards the one that they had waited for so long. And and I think this is what we must guard our hearts against each and every day as Christians, right? We are familiar with this story, right? We are familiar with this tale about the birth of Christ. But we must not allow our familiarity with it to breed contempt for it. But we must remember who Jesus is and all that he has come to do. And we have to battle against our tendency to to grow indifferent. And we have to fight for the third response that we see here. There was concealed hatred. There was indifference. But then the wise men responded with joy and with worship. And that is how we are called to respond to our Savior. That is how we are called to respond each and every day, not just on the 24th of December or the 25th of December. This is an everyday event where we rejoice in the coming of our Savior because we know who He is and what He has come to do, that He is here to rescue us from our sins. And we can celebrate that. We can rejoice in that. We can uh, rejoice with exceedingly great joy. Right? When was the last time we had the type of joy that describes the wise men here? But that's what we should focus upon, and especially this time of year. And how do we translate that joy? How do we encourage that joy to be found also in the hearts of our family members, in the hearts of our children this time of year? That must be our focus. So how will we respond to Jesus this Christmas? And as we saw that with the star, God is leading people to worship His Son, Jesus. That is His goal. And every single time uh, th- this uh, story is related to others, every time we retell God becoming a man, every time we, we speak of uh, His glory, every time we speak of His mission to come and save sinners, God uses that retelling of what He has done to draw people to Himself. So we are called to continue to tell forth this story, to remember it, to recall it, to proclaim it, that God might use it to draw people to Himself. And if you're here this morning, I would urge you to look to Christ in faith, to respond with joy and with worship rather than concealed hatred or indifference. Look to Jesus in faith and rejoice in all that He offers to us. He is our hope. He is our life. And I would beg you and plead with you 
to look to him in faith. And if you have additional questions about who Jesus is or what he has done, I would love to speak with you afterwards this evening. But I also want this evening to continue to be a time of heartfelt worship, a time of reflecting not only upon the birth of Christ, but also upon what he came to do. I love this last song that we're going to to close with, but as we prepare our hearts to to sing one final song uh, in remembrance of Christ's mission here on the earth, I would ask you to pray with me as we continue to worship Him.